Hello and welcome. You are listening to Patrick Boyle on Finance, a podcast exploring ideas from quantitative finance, examining events occurring in markets right now and financial history to see what lessons can be taken away, including interviews with some of the most interesting people in the world of finance. To learn more about the podcast, visit onfinance.org. In 1973, the Organization of Arab Petroleum Exporting Countries instituted an oil embargo on the United States, sending oil prices soaring. This came at a difficult time for the United States, as wholesale commodity prices were already rising more than 10% per year at the time, and many important industrial materials were in short supply. In addition, the U.S. oil industry had very little excess production capacity, which meant that it was difficult for U.S. energy producers to bring more oil to market when it was needed. In the aftermath of that oil shock, the United States began seeking energy independence to prevent such problems occurring again in the future. Over the same period, Europe became increasingly reliant on Russia for its energy needs. So let's discuss why Europe relies so much on Russia for energy. Could the West place an embargo on Russian oil and gas? Would such an embargo make a difference to Russia? And to what extent would the Western nations be harming themselves by doing this? So first up, the European Union is the world's largest energy importer. They import 60% of their energy needs at a cost of more than 350 billion euros a year. Right now, Europe imports 40% of its natural gas supply and more than 25% of its crude oil from Russia. In the 1960s and 70s, Europe was producing roughly the same amount of natural gas that it was using. But production began to decrease as the North Sea gas fields depleted and the Netherlands began shutting down their gas fields. These are the largest source of natural gas in the EU, but they were shut down due to earthquake activity. Over the last 20 years or so, the EU has been reducing its dependence on coal in order to reach its climate goals, and Germany even passed a law to phase out nuclear power altogether. Their final three nuclear power stations are scheduled to be decommissioned this coming December. Belgium, Switzerland and the UK have been reducing their nuclear power generation capacity too. So European nations turned to Russian natural gas to fill the gap between the phase-out of their existing energy supplies and their transition to zero-emission renewables and storage, which they plan to eventually use as a full replacement. About 25% of the EU's energy consumption comes from natural gas, and that dependence on natural gas means a dependence on Russia. Some of the biggest European economies are amongst the most exposed, with Germany importing 90% of its energy needs. The problem Europe is faced with is that renewable energy is not coming online fast enough to replace traditional sources of energy. Russia has the largest reserves of natural gas in the world and has been an exporter since the 1940s. Even at the height of the Cold War, Russian natural gas deliveries could be relied on. 
Europe has been dealing with severe energy problems over the last year. After an unusually cold winter the year before, Europe went into this winter season with low stocks of natural gas. Then a wind drought where wind speeds were at some of the lowest levels in the past 60 years meant that there was a shortage of wind energy. Booming Asian demand and maintenance trouble at French nuclear power plants combined to squeeze prices even more. Russia restricted supplies to Europe to put pressure on them to approve the new Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. Benchmark gas prices more than tripled in Europe in 2021 and the average household saw their energy costs jump by around 55%. When Western leaders began threatening Putin with sanctions over the invasion of Ukraine, these threats were carefully constructed to avoid directly hitting Russia's energy exports, both the lifeblood of the European economy as much as of the Russian economy. When Washington announced last week that it would ban Russia's largest banks from processing payments, it deliberately excluded Gazprom Bank, which serves the Russian energy company Gazprom. The Russian banks that process energy payments are also absent from the list that Brussels agreed to ban from the SWIFT messaging system. There have been calls, though, for Western governments to step up the pressure on Russia. Ukraine's foreign minister has called on governments to impose a full embargo on Russian oil and gas. Now, a large amount of Russia's foreign reserves have already been frozen. I covered that in my last piece. But as long as commodity exports keep flowing, Russia will be receiving hard currency, and this time they won't make the mistake of leaving that currency in the reach of Western governments to be frozen. With today's energy prices, Putin's regime could easily be receiving a billion dollars per day in oil and gas revenues. Economists expect the current sanctions to push Russia into a deep recession while driving inflation even higher this year, and that's clearly already happening. They don't, however, expect the Russian economy to entirely stop functioning, as long as the political will in the Kremlin exists to soften the impact of the measures. Cutting off American purchases of Russian oil would not be a big deal for the United States, which currently only sources 7% of their oil imports from Russia. The United States had reached energy independence right before the COVID-19 pandemic and could easily enough return to energy independence as production in Texas and North Dakota come back online. High oil prices do tend to encourage U.S. private sector investment in production and bring more supply online. The biggest problems for the United States is not sourcing energy, it's the desire not to isolate their European allies. Germany's Minister of Economics last week said that he opposed any embargo as Germany needs these supplies for price stability and security of energy. Diplomats in Brussels have said that there have only been informal conversations about oil and gas sanctions so far. In reality, right now, many Western banks, oil refiners and ship owners are effectively self-sanctioning or behaving as if Russian oil is already unavailable. Business dealings with Russia have become toxic for many large corporates. Russian crude exporters have seen multiple cancelled shipments as shipping companies, banks and insurers back away from dealing with the country. 
According to the Financial Times, roughly 70% of Russian crude is struggling to find buyers right now. You can see this in the pricing, where Russian Urals crude is quoted at a discount of more than $18 per barrel in the market this week, a record discount. So right now there is nothing legally stopping anyone from buying or selling Russian crude, but oil and shipping markets are pricing in the risk that this could change at a moment's notice. While this uncertainty exists, tanker owners will be reluctant to transport the barrels and refineries will look elsewhere for supply. This means that oil traders are being careful too. On Wednesday, a large Russian oil producer failed to award tenders after three attempts to sell around 6.5 million barrels of Urals crude. This basically means that if you are a Russian oil company trying to sell oil, there is an embargo in all but name. Russian crude oil in theory is not sanctioned, but everyone is hedging their bets for now and behaving as if it is. Right now, Russia pipes roughly $450 million worth of gas to Europe per day at current prices. Most of that goes to Germany, Italy and the Netherlands. Unlike oil, European buyers have continued to buy Russian natural gas and have even stepped up what they take under long-term contracts with Gazprom, as right now that is cheaper than buying gas in the spot market. Kadri Simpson, the European Union's energy commissioner, announced on Monday that Europe's energy supply is sufficient to get through the winter, but that the Russian invasion made Europe's vulnerability painfully clear. She said that next week the Commission will present a proposal on strengthening energy independence, especially from Russia but that the recent increase of energy prices, along with inflation more generally, complicates that goal. Europe has already boosted imports of liquefied natural gas and refilled some gas storage, but there is no quick Russia replacement that can be brought online in the short term. A European embargo is something that could happen, but would not be very easy. Right now, global commodity prices are on track for the biggest weekly price spike in more than 50 years. The events of last week have caused sharp gains for grains, metals and energy prices. Wheat futures, for example, closed yesterday almost 22% higher at a 14-year high of $12.89 a bushel. Energy is a critical part of the Russian economy. Oil and natural gas sales generate close to half of Russia's export revenue. So sanctions on Russian oil would severely harm the Russian economy, even if trade continued with China and other countries that did not join in the sanctions. Putin announced $118 billion of new oil and gas deals with China after the Winter Olympics last month. While this might be good for Putin, a situation where Russia's only trade partner is China would put Putin firmly in Xi's pocket, which would probably not be an attractive position for him. The reduced international demand that Russia is already seeing for their oil could force them to close off some oil wells, which can be difficult to turn back on. Oil wells don't just turn on and off with a tap the way many people imagine they do. 
Another option for Western countries would be to ratchet down oil imports rather than halting them completely. This was done with Iran where 20% cuts were imposed every six months. As the warmer weather approaches, this becomes easier for Europe. 20 EU countries are members of the International Energy Agency and they are required to hold at least 90 days of oil reserves. If oil supplies were severely disrupted, they could decide to release these stocks into the market. If the West were to embargo Russian oil and gas, policymakers would expect these measures to have a similar impact to the sanctions imposed on Iran in 2018. Those measures were focused on reducing Iran's revenue from oil exports to zero. While Iran's economy has suffered significantly with massive inflation which peaked at 48% in 2018 and is expected to remain above 25% in the foreseeable future, the country is still able to export oil to friendly countries like China and wealthier Iranians who have political ties do still manage to mostly maintain their luxurious lifestyles. While the economy is not doing well, it's still functioning, which allows the leadership to claim that they are surviving and winning the economic war. As you can see, all of this is complicated and there are no easy wins in here for anyone. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Have a great day and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle. Thanks for listening. Bye.